Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. I think the, the title may, may sometimes, you know, may somewhat be misleading, but yet it's, it's really kind of crystal clear as well. Just Christianity 101 is the title of our message, our series here. It's something that's basic, something that's academic, but yet, you know, sometimes we just go through life and uh, we forget what's most basic, what's important. And uh, what, whether it's just life hits us, life happens, uh, it can knock us off course. How many of you have ever been knocked off course in your relationship with God? Just life happened, right? It just kind of got you off course. You're going the right way, but uh, suddenly you just things happen. The flesh, temptation, trials, stress, all of these things and more can get us slightly off course. So when that happens, it's good to have a, just a, a place where we can say, okay, I need to go back to the start, back to the beginning, get kind of a, uh, an idea of where I'm at, where I need to go, and that's why we need messages like this. So if you missed part one of the series, we talked about uh, step number one. The most important thing we have is our relationship with Jesus. And uh, anytime we make an assessment of ourselves, or we just kind of take a, a, an inventory of where we are I think it's always important for us to go back to that place, back to the beginning, back to the start. When we repented of our sins, and we placed our faith in Jesus, and we experienced new birth. And uh, that's why we needed to start the series there just from the beginning. It gives us a great perspective. And if we aren't born again, then here's the, the truth. Then we're not heading in the right direction. If we're not born again, we're not heading in the right direction. So how do we know that we've experienced new birth? Well, the Apostle Paul describes new birth this way. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if you're born again, you became a new person. Now, I know some of you may be like me. You might, might be getting to the place where you're like, well, I wish that new person would have included new parts. But it just didn't happen that way, right? But God, when, God, when Jesus came into your life, he made you a new person on the inside. Something happened. The, the Holy Spirit transformed you, made you a new person. I didn't say a perfect person, but he made you a new person. And it's a, a new person that the Holy Spirit can transform more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So we must be born again. And you say, well, I'm not real sure about that. You know, I, I said the prayer. I believe this and I believe that. That's great. But Jesus made this crystal clear in John 3, 3. And he says this, very truly. So when Jesus says very truly, you know it's it. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So it's, it's this, the first important step. If we're going to get an idea of, okay, I've gotten knocked off course. Where do I need to be? Let's just go back to the beginning. Let's take an inventory of ourselves. Let's take, let's take an assessment. And the best place we can do that is asking, this self, asking ourselves this question. Am I born again? Have I experienced new birth? Have I become a new creation in Christ? In the second part of the series, we talked about this. So let's assume we're born again. Everyone's born again that's here today, but, but I'm not sure that I'm going the right direction. I just I know things aren't right. This, something doesn't feel right, I, or just, just this. I just know I'm not doing the right thing. Uh, then let's go to this place here where Paul writes to the Corinthians. And uh, says, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. So examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? 
So examine yourselves in regards to the faith. Make an honest spiritual assessment of yourself. Has anybody ever had to do that before? I do it from time to time. It's a good practice. I think we've been taught, well, you shouldn't doubt or you should put a cloud your, your salvation. No, always examine yourself before the Lord. Anytime you read God's Word, allow the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God to examine your heart. It's just a, a practice we should. It's a, it's a discipline that we should employ in our lives. So examine yourselves in regards to the faith. Make an honest spiritual assessment of yourselves. And this happens again when we allow God's Word in tandem with the Holy Spirit to speak to us, examine our hearts. Isn't that what the Word of God is supposed to do? It's supposed to judge the intents of the heart. So make that a practice. Listen to what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus. I think these are powerful words. Here's a church that has gotten off course. Not just people, but a person, but the church has seemed to go in the wrong direction. Look at his words. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So remember from where you have fallen. Well, that's a, that's a great example of making an assessment of ourselves. Look back, remember. You know, get some perspective of your walk with God. Remember from where you have fallen. And again, these words just speak of an assessment. And the church of Ephesus obviously was not heading in the right direction. And that's why Jesus was crystal clear with them. Repent, turn and go the other direction. Go the right way. You're heading down the wrong path. You're going the wrong direction. Repent, turn, go in the right direction. So change their direction, start heading in the right path. Here's a great example, a great illustration. If you have an airplane, you take off from an airport on the equator, and your, your idea of this or your plan is this, I'm going to take off from this airport, I'm going to fly around the world, and I'm going to land at that same spot. If you just take off and you start flying one degree off course, by the time you make it around the world, you'll be off target 500 miles. And isn't that the way it, it works in our walk with God? We just get a little off course, and we start heading down that direction, and it seems like we're almost going parallel at first. I'm just kind of walking parallel where with I should be. I'm just slightly off. I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as close as I'm not dedicated. I'm not whatever it is. I'm just not where I should be spiritually. And you kind of run this kind of parallel course. And all of a sudden, time goes by. Listen, in a, in a community like ours, very small, religious, uh, we can be somewhat closed off. Let, let's just be very honest here. Sometimes we're not always honest and transparent. We like to fake it until we make it. And that doesn't ever work. Smile and say everything's just fine when it's not. And you can find yourselves going off course for a very long period of time. Till suddenly you're just so far off course, you're like, when did this happen? Well, it happened somewhere way back. And that's what happens to us spiritually. Again, hopefully uh, this, this message and these messages will help us again take assessment of ourselves, get some bearing of where we are in Christ and where we're heading. So today I want to talk to you about being a disciple. So we're born again, we're hopefully going in the right direction, and we should be a disciple. Give you some interesting facts. Check this out. One-third of the world's population identify as Christian. One-third of the world's population, and I know that's various denominations and whatever, but still, a third of the world's population identifies as Christian. 78% of Americans identify as Christian. Now, I find that just incredibly just difficult to believe. 70, I'm almost 80%. So imagine this, you go to Browns, you go to Dollar General, eight out of ten people because I don't want to say 7.8, that just doesn't sound right. But uh, 8 out of 10 people would be Christians. 
So if nearly 80% of Americans are Christians, then why aren't we building churches faster than Dollar General is building buildings? Right? You just you go down the road, there's a clearing, there's, there's, there's nothing there, something's going to be, and a Dollar General pops up. I mean, why aren't we building churches that fast? I mean, really, if 80% of our population is Christian, every church in our community is filled to capacity, and we have to build buildings. But let's just face it, that's not true. That's not happening. That's not taking place. So we know that 80% of the people may identify as a Christian. They may identify as being a follower of Christ, but are they truly a follower of Jesus? Are they truly a disciple? And in a community like ours, small, religious, conservative, close-knit, traditional, I think that word Christian, that term, tends to be a little bit more uh, generic. All right, so you can ask any number of people in our community, are you a Christian? Most of them will say yes. But again, does that make them a Christian? More, more or less, does this, does this come into play? Okay, I'm a Christian, but yeah, but are you a disciple? I think that's a, a really good question to ask. Are you a follower of Christ? And most of them will say, sure, yeah, that's, I'm a disciple. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? And uh, when you look at the word Christian in the Bible, it only appears three times. Three times in the Bible, three times in the New Testament. The term that is most often used to describe Christians is a disciple. So are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? Look what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make what? Make Christians, make converts, make people go to your church. No, make what? Disciples. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the command of the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. I think we make good churchgoers, we make good Christians, so to speak, but we don't make good disciples. So what is a disciple? And the standard definition for the word disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. Someone who adheres to the teachings of another. A disciple, is a, is a disciple is a follower or a learner. A disciple is someone who is learning to, let's put it in these terms, follow Jesus. So that's what a disciple is, someone who is learning to follow Jesus. A disciple refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else, and that someone else, in our case, is Jesus. So we cannot be true disciples of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot be a true follower of Jesus. You say, Pastor, where do you get that from? Romans 8 9. But, if you, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. That's again why we need to go all the way back to new birth sometime. Are you born again? When did that take place? When you gave your life to Jesus and you repented of your sins, did the Holy Spirit transform you and make you into a new person? Because again, you can't be a true disciple of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. I think this is a major issue facing Christianity today. People who claim to be Christians but have not experienced new birth. And then they try to identify as a follower of Christ. And they try to act like a follower of Christ, but they find it very difficult. Because you can't follow Jesus in the flesh. You can't follow Jesus in your own abilities. If we had the power and the ability to change ourselves, then Jesus wouldn't have to come to die on the cross and send the Holy Spirit to, ch to change our lives. So uh, just an a experience we must have. We must be born again. The Holy Spirit must be in us in, for, in order for us to be a disciple.
So you cannot be a true disciple and not be a disciple, or excuse me, you cannot be a true Christian and not be a disciple of Jesus. The two are synonymous. They go together. Therefore, a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. Not only that, the Holy Spirit then empowers that person and enables them to live like Jesus. Think about this. When people try to be Christians without the Holy Spirit, this is the result. And I'm sure if you've been in church very long, you've seen this. You can identify this. They don't become more like Jesus. They become more religious. They don't become more like Jesus. They become legalistic. They don't become more like Jesus. They become rigid. They don't become more like Jesus. They become more hypocritical. They become lifeless. Christianity feels like to them it's unfulfilling. It's just something that's taking life from them rather than a relationship with God that gives you life, that pours life into you, and that you, that you have the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead inside of you, giving you life, flowing through you. See, if that doesn't take place, you're, you're missing something. Listen, it's not, Christianity is not about a religion, right? It's a relationship with God. Someone lives on the inside of you, and that someone is the Holy Spirit, and he gives you life, and that life is to live like Jesus. The term disciple was not an uncommon term in the, in the New Testament times. I mean, I know we read about it, and we see that term used throughout the, the New Testament, but in those times, in New Testament times, that word disciple was, was something that was used uh, throughout Judaism. In fact, the Pharisees, they prided themselves on being the disciples of Moses. You see that in several conversations in the New Testament. We have Moses. Moses is our, who we follow. Moses is who uh, we trust. So in Judaism, uh, even to this present day, a teacher is called a what? A rabbi, correct? Even in Jesus' day, Jesus was called what? Rabbi. He was called teacher. So within Judaism, again, you have this idea of a disciple. So when Jesus comes, Jesus comes as a teacher. He comes as a rabbi, and he calls his followers to follow him. So a rabbi would do this. These, these words that we see in the New Testament, sometimes we'll read over them and we gloss over the phrase, but there is a very important phrase that Jesus used throughout his ministry to call people. And the two words, follow me. Follow me. And this is a, the words, or this would be the invitation of a rabbi to his disciples. Follow me. Now, in Judaism, a rabbi, a teacher, would only call certain pupils or disciples to follow him. So he would, he would take the cream of the crop. He would take the best of the best of his class, and he would invite them to follow him. So uh, the A students, you, you walk with me, you B, C, D, uh, you guys need to find something else to do. Now, isn't it interesting, though, who Jesus calls? Jesus doesn't call the best. He doesn't call the brightest. He doesn't call the religious. He calls fishermen, tax collectors, and you go on and just name the list. This is what so upset the Pharisees. This guy's not calling the learned. This guy's not calling those who have been instructed in the law. This guy's calling common sinners to follow him. How can this be? So I'll give you a great example. Example Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Jesus invited Matthew to follow him and to become one of his disciples. Again, Matthew, being a Jew, would not be unfamiliar with that term. That term would have resonated with him. I mean, he knows who Jesus is. Jesus is coming into town. Clearly, you could see 
from the evidence around that story and its context that he understands Jesus was a rabbi, and when Jesus invites him to follow him, he stands up, he leaves the tax office, and he follows Jesus. It's a powerful, powerful thing that takes place, but we often miss it because we don't understand the context. Not everyone who Jesus called to follow him followed him. We see this, uh, and here's the standard that Jesus gives in order to follow him. It's one we need to look at ourselves. Luke 9, 23 through 25. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, to follow me, let him deny himself and take him of his cross and follow me. For, ever, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? So Jesus announced the cost of becoming his disciple. I know I've used this term before. I'm sure you've heard it. It doesn't cost you anything to come to Jesus, but it costs you everything. Right? It's, it's true. So Jesus announced the cost of becoming his disciples. And this is the standard. They must deny themselves, deny their flesh, deny, deny their desires, their wants, take up their own cross, symbolic of death. And when this happens, a person can follow him. Let's go down now. In that, in that uh, there's the heading. Let's go on down to some folks that Jesus invited to follow him then. Look at Luke 9, 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. So I want to be your follower. I want to be a disciple. Jesus responds this way. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be homeless. We're going to wander. We're going to travel. You ready to sign up? No. Uh, Verse 59. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. There's a whole bunch of context you can talk about there. This is not a cold and heartless statement that Jesus makes. There's not enough time to go into that. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the the kingdom of God. And another also said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So these are people who Jesus invited to follow him, and they rejected following him because they could not live up to that standard. They were not willing to deny themselves and carry their own cross. Don't we see that in the body of Christ today, in church today, in church world? Where we have people that are attendees, you have adherents, but you don't have true disciples. You know, if that's the case, then everybody who attends Holt Assembly of God, let's say they're all a disciple, then more times out of not, our, our attendance would look completely different. But as it is, you know this, we have people that attend every week, every three weeks, every two weeks, every week, or every other, or one week a month, maybe once uh, every two months, once every three months, if, if we we're all, and again, I know that church attendance is not the apex, but it does tell you something. It tells you something that, you know, you know, this is what takes place. You get off course, don't you? You just get off course, and you start going down a different path. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that you're, you're bad or anything like that. You just get going down the wrong course. It just happens. And then often church is the last place you want to be. Because every time you go to church, the preacher preaches the same message. It seems like, one that's right at me, one that's right on my toes. What? Did, did, did he save that one just for me? And the answer is no. 
It's just no. So they, they were called to follow Jesus. They chose not to, and we have people just like that today. I follow Jesus, but it's in name only. Name only. Jesus invites us to follow him. So are you following him? Many are invited, but few will follow. Many are invited, but few will follow. So a rabbi, in biblical times, when a rabbi invited you to follow him, he was inviting you to live the way that he lived, the way that he would interpret the scriptures, and you would follow his lead. Now, this is something that goes, again, this is a, this is a phrase that was used in Judaism. It dates back two centuries before Jesus uh, was born in Bethlehem. And this phrase was recorded in the Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish writings, and uh, they're still used today in Judaism. But it says this, Make your house a meeting place for the sages or the rabbis, cling to the dust of their feet, and drink in their words thirstily. And it simply just means this. It's just a disciple was instructed to stick closely to the teachings of their rabbi. Who is our rabbi? Who is our teacher? It's Jesus, right? So we're not clinging to the teaching of man. We're clinging to the teachings of Christ, the Son of the living God. So the words Christian and disciple are obviously synonymous with each other. But unfortunately, the word Christian in our culture has become something generic, something political, and something that does not convey the way, the truth, and the life. Are you following me? So the Holy Spirit, he empowers us, he enables us to be not only believers, but followers of Jesus. Let me, let me show you something that's like, very important, and uh, it's worth just kind of taking a step back and looking at. When, when Jesus died and he was resurrected, the disciples can't be saved at that point, right? Until that happens. That can't take place. They're, they're, technically, they're not saved until Jesus dies on the cross, resurrects, and sends the Holy Spirit. So when does that take place? What well, happened on the night of his crucifixion, or night of his resurrection, excuse me. John 20, verse 19 through 22. Remember, these are people he's been with for, for three years. Isn't this going to be the first people he wants to go and visit? Aren't these the, the first people he wants to see be born again? Absolutely. So this is what takes place. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. Then the, that same, evening, same day at evening, being the first day of the week, and again, this is the resurrection story, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples were glad they, when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, again, peace uh, to you. As the Father has sent me, I also, I also send you. In verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So when were the disciples born again? At that moment, they received the Holy Spirit. You can't be born again unless you receive the Holy Spirit. Again, it's the Holy Spirit who makes you a new creation, a new person, dwells in you, empowers you, and enables you to live the life of a disciple. So what are four identifying marks of a true disciple? What are four things we can look at that identify us as a disciple? I think number one is pretty easy. Number one, a true disciple of Jesus is a worshiper. A true disciple of Jesus is a worshiper. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. This is our true worship. 
What we do here on Sunday morning is important. It is an expression of worship, but it is not worship unto God. True worship is what takes place outside of these doors. Let's be honest, church. It's easy to worship God in here. It's a whole lot harder to live for God as a living sacrifice and worship Him through our lifestyle. Again, God doesn't call us to do that without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us and enables us to do so. So true worshiper, a true disciple is a true worshiper. True worshiper is not, again, what we do here on Sunday. It's how we live our lives outside those doors throughout the week. True worship happens when we live our lives sacrificially for Jesus. We live our lives to fulfill his ways, his plans, his purposes. Jesus defines true worship for us this way. Look at this, Matthew 10, 38 through 39. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me, follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's exactly what a disciple is called, out to, called to do. This is what he calls us out from darkness into the wonderful light. This is why he calls us out from sin, out from bondage, out from the world. It's to be distinct. It's to be separated unto him. It's that we carry our cross and we follow him. We become his disciples. Now, if we're not uh, willing to lose our lives, how can he save you then? If you're not willing to give your life to Jesus fully, then how can he save you from your sins? He can't. So this is just basic, just basic Christianity 101. I know that, but sometimes we get so caught up in things, so caught up in the flesh, so caught up in this world that we forget some of the most important things, the basics of our faith. If we aren't willing to lose our lives for his sake, we cannot be his true disciples. And a true disciple is a worshiper. Again, worship is a lifestyle. It's just not lip service. It's a life of sacrifice. Number two, a true disciple of Jesus is a servant. The reason why we don't tell people this when they get saved is because we're afraid we're going to scare them. Well, if I knew I had to be a true worshiper and live a sacrificial life and be a servant and be this and that, I don't know that I really want to become a Christian. But here's the fact of the matter. Whatever dedication or commitment they make, we soon find as soon as we read God's word that yes, salvation is easy. Yes, even a child can receive Jesus. But walking with Jesus, serving him, him becoming Lord of your life is a completely different thing. So look at this. A true disciple of Jesus is a servant. In fact, when you, when you think about the wording, the terminology Jesus would use, servanthood, being a servant is something that is paramount something you find him talking about very often, speaking frequently about being a servant. Look at this, Luke 22 through 27, or 22, 27. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not, the one, is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as one who serves? So if Jesus is our teacher and we are his disciples, we are his followers, we follow his example. His example is set for us, one who serves. That's his example for us, one who serves. If we're born again and we're following Jesus, sometimes we get off course. Happens all the time in the church world. We're called to be servants, but you know what? Something sticks in our craw. Something, something gets our lunch, and we just get stuck on it. And it's, it's, not all, it's not about the church. It's not about vision. It's not about the direction. It's about us see it all the time. And we lose that servant's heart. So Matthew 10, 24, remember this. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above the master. It's so important that we, we guard our hearts. 
so important because that's the place where we can get off course so easy and we can lose that servant's heart. Again, without new birth, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit empowering you, enabling you to live this life, you'll never be a servant because here's why. Flesh always gets in the way, doesn't it? Something is always going to tick us off. Something's going to rise up in us just like me when I'm driving and someone doesn't drive the way I like them to drive. It happens here in the church world. It just does in Christianity. When someone does something we don't like and it just kind of gets us, then we can lose that capacity to be a servant. When we are off course, it's much more diff- it's, we're much more in touch with our flesh rather than our spirit. So because of new birth, because when we are on the right course, we're going in the right direction, we can be a servant. Look what Jesus says to his disciples, Matthew 28, 20, or 20, 28. Just as the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, this is just at the heart of who Jesus is. And listen, I know this is kind of preaching and teaching that won't sell books, but it's just basics of who we are. How, how do we carry out the mission and purpose of Christ unless we're servants? The answer is we can. It's just, it's so important for us to, to understand we are called to be servants. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, because some of us will say, well, I don't really like that word servant. And really, when you look at it in the Greek, it's the word doulos, which means slave. Like, I don't know that I really, as a follower of Christ, want to be a servant or a slave. That just doesn't work for me. I, you know, I want to go to heaven. I want to live my own life, do my own thing. Can't we just Christianize all that? And the answer is no, because of this verse right here. It points it out. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Jesus bought you. He purchased you. He redeemed you. He, he not only redeemed you, now he's restoring you to your original purpose, why God put you on this earth. Remember, there was a purpose, and God created you to, to fulfill that purpose. And unless you are a servant, you're not going to fulfill that purpose. hope this is making sense. This is, again, why the Holy Spirit is in us. Because can we do that without the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. No way. Our flesh will get in the way. At some point, we'll say, I don't want to be a servant. I want to do my own thing. I want to be happier this way. I want to just kind of, and it never ends up in happiness, does it? So being a servant is just the core of being a disciple. Number three, a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus is a giver. True disciple of Jesus is a giver. And again, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to do so, to be a giver. And remember, when I'm talking about giving, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about all things. A giver. Are you a giver? If you're a disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a giver. Look at Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and look at this, and to give his life as a ransom for many, for many. So we are most like Jesus when we give. When we give. When we give our time, when we give our talent, when we give our money, when we give our commitment, it's an endless lift. The Holy Spirit empowers us to give. We live in a world that is obsessed. It's just obsessed about getting. The spirit of this world is selfish, selfishness, but the The spirit that works in the kingdom of God is selflessness. The world we live in is selfish, but the kingdom of God operates in selflessness. So in our religious world, we believe Christianity, it's all about us. So when we give, though, we are most like Jesus. But this world is all about getting. If we're not careful, we get caught up in that. And sometimes we get off course and our our attitude towards giving shifts. And listen, if, if you start giving with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude, you can feel like this. 
anytime there's a call to give, whether it's time, whether it's effort, whether it's money, you can feel like, I feel like they're always taken from me. I always feel like they want something from me. See, what, what that does is, it's, our perception is our reality, isn't it? And if we're going in the wrong de- direction, we're slightly off course, giving can seem like a very selfish thing. Well, you don't know the place that I'm in. You don't understand the situation I'm in. Think about the widow in the Old Testament with Elijah. It gives you some perspective. So if we're not, if we're not giving with the right heart, it can really become difficult. So giving is at the core of who Jesus is. And just look at this example. This is a, a great example. Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may eternal, and inherit eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but the one that is God. But if you want to enter into, into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Bad question to ask Jesus unless you want the truth. So he looks past all, all the flesh, all of his religiosity, looks right to his heart, says, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and look at those words, and come follow me. But when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Was it wrong for him to have possessions? Wrong for him to have money? Absolutely not. It's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with having money or possessions, but money and possessions can't have you. Because if they have you, you won't give. You'll never be able to be a giver. You'll never be able to fulfill what God's called you to do. It's just like this, tithing, for example. It's a test. It's a test of your heart. It's a test of your motives. It's a test of your actions. If money and possessions have you, they will dictate how you give, when you give, and where you give. It will will dictate all those things. Jesus invited this young man to follow him, but this man couldn't because money had him. Possessions had him. Listen to these words. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he... He gave. He gave. It's just at the heart of God. Lastly, a true disciple is a witness. A true disciple is a witness. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, look what he says to his disciples. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? My witnesses. Be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A disciple is a witness. Our purpose, our mission as followers of Christ is not just to have church, it's to be a witness, to be light in darkness. We witness our faith in proclaiming the gospel, but more importantly, we witness our faith through our lifestyles as a disciple. You know, it's one thing to preach Jesus, and it's another thing to live Jesus. The best way to be a witness is to live Christ. Listen, you know, we get it all backwards. We try to preach Christ, but not live it, and the world's confused by that because they're like, how can that be? We say one thing, but we do another thing. But when we got to reverse, when we live right, we live like Jesus. I'm not saying perfection, but when the world looks at us and they understand something's different about that person, what you then say has power. It has meaning. It has purpose. This purpose person just doesn't believe or, or have a, a thought or this is who they are. They truly believe it. They live it. 
So how we live it is just as important as what we say, and that's being a true witness. Look, again, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. We're witnesses of what Christ has done, not only uh, on the cross in this world, but in our own lives. We're witnesses. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life as a follower of Christ. When is the last time you were a witness? When's the last time you were a giver? When's the last time you were a servant? When is the last time you were a true worshiper? I want you to think about those things because those are important. Those are the hallmarks of a disciple. When's the last time people near you saw a disciple witnessing their faith through the things they did? Genuine Christianity. A Christian is born again, follower of Jesus, a disciple. The two are synonymous. I'm going to close with this verse, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Here's a verse that we're familiar with, but I think we might lose the connection here. You know, there, there are some things in the Bible that are cultural. Uh, they're, they're to a time, and sometimes we're 2,000 years from that time. We don't always understand those cultural things that take place. But when Jesus says these words, they're very powerful. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. I've always got that, but that learn from me always kind of, I didn't quite get it. But now I get it. I'll show you this. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I will just say this, the burden of the law is not light, but the burden of grace, the burden of Christ's teachings, his ways, are very light. So a rabbi's yoke was his teaching. A rabbi's yoke was his teaching. I mean, you go all throughout uh, rabbinical writings, and there's this phrase. It speaks of a yoke, of his teaching, a, a rabbi's teaching. Again, Jesus is our teacher. He is our rabbi. He's called us to live the way he lives. Again, we can't do that by ourselves, can we? It's impossible. We have to have the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit enables us to live out the teachings of our rabbi. Jesus offers us a yoke, but his yoke is to be a disciple. And that yoke is not heavy. It's not burdensome. It's not law. It's not legalism. It's freedom. It's got life. It has fulfillment. But when we're off course, that yoke feels heavy. Does it not? When you get off course and you walk with God and you're not doing the right thing and you're going the wrong direction, doesn't it feel heavy when you come to church? Doesn't it feel heavy when you run into someone at Walmart and they're like, hey, we've been missing you? Heavy, isn't it? Heavy. But when you're walking with Jesus, when you're his disciple, that burden is light. It's easy. But if you're off course, that yoke will seem very, light, or very heavy. So if we try to take on the yoke of our teacher without the Holy Spirit and we get off course and our heart is not right, this yoke will seem very heavy, very burdensome, very religious, very repetitious and unfulfilling. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.